The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about consumer privacy, and we are going to be speaking with a wonderful guest, Danny O'Brien, who is with the Electronic Frontier Foundation, which we have had people on that on our show before. They do such great work for privacy protection. They are located in California. They do work in California, but they really have an influence not just nationwide, but really worldwide. And I, you guys are going to love this guest, and you're going to f- go fabulous. Wow, when you hear his wonderful, wonderful voice and that accent from the UK is just amazing. So let me tell you a little bit about Danny O'Brien, who wants to kill me now as I'm saying this. Um, He's been an activist for online free speech and privacy for over 20 years. In his home country of the UK, he fought against representative anti-encryption law and helped found the Open Rights Group. Britain's own digital rights organization. He was EFF, now that's again the Electronic Frontier Foundation's activist from 2005 to 2007, its international outreach coordinator from 2007 to 2009, and international director from 2013 to 2019. He now supervises EFF's medium and long-term strategy with an eye to maintaining the organization's global impact and reputation. He's doing a great job on that. In a previous century, Danny wrote and performed the only one-man show about Usenet to have a successful run in London's West End. His geek gossip zine, uh, Need to Know, was a, won a special commendation for services to news gathering at the first interactive BAFTA convention. And he also coined the term life hack. And it's been over a decade since he was the first commissioned to write a book on combating procrastination. Oh my gosh, everybody needs that. Now, um, he also is, you know, uh, amazing. Uh, he has a new podcast, um, and he's going to tell us about that. He co-hosts that. It's How to Fix the Internet. And so you can find out more about him at privacypiracy.org, where we have his picture, his bio, and we link to EFF and his podcast. And so thank you so much for joining us, Danny. 
We just are so thrilled to have you. Thank you very much for such a great introduction. I feel like I hope my accent is is doing itself justice right now. (laughs) I've actually been in the United States for 20 years, so people in the UK feel I have an intriguing American lilt. Yeah. Um, But But I guess it's it's easy to understand, but it's just very wonderful, you know. Yeah, it's just little little audio seasoning for people. <laughs> right. And you know Honestly. what? It's so funny, you don't lose it. Like I have been in California now like forty years, right? And uh-huh. um and people still say to me, Are you from Chicago? Yeah. <laughs> and and I'm originally from I could really play with it and go Chicago. Just like I'm sure when you go back <laughs> to the UK you can put it on, right? <laughs> right. And I, I always think, you know, from a privacy point of view, it's sort of fascinating because, you know, you don't know what you sound like. But you're always giving these hints as to your background. My uh, my partner has a Rhode Island accent. Oh. And um, so you can see the history and even uh, how we, we speak. Yes, exactly. So I want you, for those of our audience who hasn't really, didn't really hear the other people from EFF, just give us a, a little overview of what EFF is and what they do. Sure. Um, so we've been around, uh, we're a digital rights organization, and we're older than most digital rights organizations. We've been around since 1990. This is our 30th year. Um, and for, for through those decades, we've been primarily concerned about um, defending and improving civil liberties in a sort of age of digital technology. Um, and uh, the way we primarily do that, we're kind of like the ACLU of the Internet. We do a lot of what's called public impact litigation, um, which is either defending or um, suing um, in the courts to shift the precedents um, or reinterpret the Constitution uh, in, in the face of, of new technology. But we also, uh, uh, because we're based in San Francisco in the heart of Silicon Valley, and we've, we, our uh, membership who fund us uh, you know, pretty much all, all geeks, <laughs> yeah. we, we also build technology to help protect privacy. So we, um, we have a browser plugin you can use called um, Privacy Badger, which stops uh, trackers from um, uh, large corporations, Google, Facebook, that kind of thing. Um, And we also have a service called Let's Encrypt, which is a little deeper in the weeds, but is, I I think it's fair to say, pretty much responsible for the huge uptick in uh, websites that use HTTPS, the little padlock at the top. And that protects them against government surveillance, um, against mass surveillance, which we've been fighting in the courts now. Um, for over over a decade. Right, right. Now, tell us a little bit about your podcast. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, so, uh, I, you know, it's funny. When, when EFF was born, I think we sort of proceeded, but then ro- rode on a wave of kind of optimism about the Internet and new technology and how it would um, help protect uh, our, our rights. And now we're in kind of the downswing. <laughs> We're beginning to deal with the ramifications of the negative side of digital technology and the attacks on privacy and um, and even some way, in some ways free expression and freedom association. So the podcast is called uh, How to Fix the Internet. Uh, and uh, it's really me and my, um, uh, my boss and um, 
fantastic thinker in these areas, Cindy Cohen, uh, who's uh, led EFF for um, many years now, talking to folks like you about how we might address some of the problems that we've seen arising. Um, so we talk about a whole bunch of things, not just privacy, but I think, you know, privacy is definitely one of the things that, that worries people the most about the, the new Internet age we're in. Right. And it, it is, you know, when you think about, you know, buying a refrigerator or anything that we have, every appliance is, you know, Bluetooth and connected and, talk, you know, I'm in my car and, and everything is connected over there. And so everything that we're doing nowadays is really connected to the Internet. So the, those people listening, it isn't just your smartphone and it isn't just your computer, right? It's it's everything. Right. And we really feel that the law hasn't kept up with with that kind of understanding. I mean, in, in particular, and we talk about this in, in the podcast um, a little bit too. Um, uh, in, in particular, the, the law has always traditionally had some fairly good protections against you know, being able to wiretap your phone, being able to listen in to your communication. Right. That's sort of the, the model I think most of us have about spying uh, on, on our everyday activities. But the big problem is, is, the, is the metadata, right? The data about the data, which doesn't have the same kind of protections. And for us and, and for technologists, the line between those two things is is really um, is really blurring. And to give you an example, you know, um, the law originally there was a lot of pressure on the law to characterize location data, uh, which is to say um, that the information that your phone blasts out to really so many people about where you are when right. you're carrying it, and um, and I think people are often shocked. To, to learn that that data doesn't get the same protections as what you're saying on your phone, mm. um, which is to say that like you need to get a warrant to be able to wiretap you, but you can actually find out where you are much more easily. And mm. in many ways, that's that's far more revealing um, than 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 what we say on our phones in many ways. Right. Right. Especially for criminal situations, I would you know that if you're if you're near where something happened, you might be accused and you had nothing to do with it. You know, right? And the other part of this, of course, is that the way we traditionally think about warrants is that they're targeted. You 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 you've got some suspicion, or the law yeah. enforcement has some suspicion about somebody. So they put a wiretap on them. And mm -hmm. what we're really increasingly seeing across the world, really, are these sort of dragnet surveillance orders, which say, we think something bad happened in this location, or we would like to find somebody who was in this location. Right. So we will put in an order to get everybody whose phone was in that, 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 that location right. um, and then pick through it. And I, I hate to go back on my, my, my accent, my, my origin, but in the Declaration of um, Independence and, and, and a lot of the work in the, um, 
formulating the the Bill of Rights, uh, general warrants, these warrants that were non-specific, that said we just want to be able to kick down the door of everybody in this town, um, was one of the 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 bones of contention between the colonists and um, and the the British government. So it's. I mean, we, we challenge these things in their constitutionality in the courts, but I think if you look at the historical record, they're actually one of the reasons why um, the American um, Revolution happened. Right, right. So so talking about that, you know, your home, uh, the UK, when I was there just recently last year, um, I saw cameras everywhere. Yep. <laughs> on yep. the streets. So um, what about that? What about the UK? And how does that compare with the US? And and now yeah. are, you guys are out of the, the uh, European Union, which, you know, are, are you still with the privacy of GDPR? What's going on over there? I think it's really interesting. I used to be EFS International Director for... Um, a number of years, so I, I've, I've got to see how the debate plays out um, in many different countries uh, regarding privacy. Yeah, um, and you know, I think there's a, there's often a kind of simplistic model for this, which says that um, you know Europe is much more privacy oriented. Um, they have the GDPR. Um, there's a lot more sort of concern there, or, or has been for many years, about the corporate surveillance of Facebook and Google. Uh, whereas the U.S. is a little bit more, um, you know, relaxed about corporate surveillance, but perhaps more concerned about government, government um, mm-hmm. spying. And you know, I, I I I understand where that comes from, but I I think the story is often much more complicated than that. For instance, I mean, you've, 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 as you've described, in the UK, there are a lot more closed-circuit cameras. I think London is one of the most uh, surveilled, from that point of view, cities in the world, including uh, uh, Chinese um, uh, uh, cities. Hmm. Um, having lived in the UK, I can tell you a little bit about where that came from, which was actually a particular event in the, I guess it was the late 80s, um, very early on in closed-circuit TV adoption, where uh, a closed-circuit TV footage from a mall was crucial in capturing a, um, uh, 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 the, the, the murder of a, uh, of a small child. Oh. Actually, the, the, the story is very sad. It turned out that it was actually two other older children, slightly older children. Um, and so it, it was a really, it was very vivid in lots of different levels. The death of the child is always heartrending. Right. And then when, of course, the footage came out, um, it, was, it was so shocking. Um, and, and it was actually an event that prompted a lot more cameras to be rolled out right. um, it, it, across the country because in that situation, they were seen as, you know, the revealers of, of, of this kind. Mm-hmm. And then that sort of normalized um, the, right. the existence of cameras. Uh, and that meant that, that just that tiny little single um, but well-publicized event really changed the, the attitude uh, right. in, in the UK. And I see that in, in every country often. Li Tian, my colleague, who I think has been on this podcast before, sure. uh-huh. um, talks about um, uh, 
data Valdez or privacy Valdez cases, right, which is harkening back to the oil tanker crash that Exxon Valdez. Mm -hmm. And often these singular events can really change people's perceptions. Well, look at 9-11, you know? I mean, 9-11? Yeah, um, so much happened after that, right? Yeah, Cambridge Analytica is another one. I think people's attitudes to... Facebook and other companies really changed because of the scandal of of that data being misused for political purposes. Right, Uh, right. And 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 you know, it it differs from place to place is 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 what I'm saying. One event could be hit the headlines in, Mm -hmm. in one country and no one knows about it in another. Right. Right. You know, I think it's interesting also, you were talking before about um, people are more worried about government than than corporations, but, you know, um, we don't have any protections with the corporations, you know, whereas, right. you know, which is such a joke because even though that we had the Privacy Act from the 70s in here, you know, about protecting government, uh, protecting ourselves from government. We don't have that with the corporations. So yeah. it's so weird, right? <laughs> well, I think, I think you know, uh, part of it is actually com- compared to, the, the, to Europe, um, uh, U.S. privacy legislation tends to be more sort of scattergun, right? And it tends right. to actually respond to these events. So we right. have... Right. Really good protections against video rental um, uh, databases because they were they were they were involved in the the, the uh, failed nomination of um, uh, Justice Bork to the um, to the Supreme Court. Right. Um, and um, uh, we uh, we don't have laws, uh, at least federal laws, about the particular business models. Of modern internet giants, the right. um, EU does and has this overarching uh, data protection law. I think, in many ways, for, for for those of us who think about this in terms of civil liberties and the human rights, what's interesting is the EU also, because it's a, a younger union, actually embodied this in the equivalent of their constitution, their Bill of Rights. Um, the European Charter of Human Rights, which has a specific additional right of data protection, right. which is actually separate separate from privacy. Right. Um, and I think that's one of the things that shifts it slightly. And again, I don't think this is so much cultural as institutional. I think if the founding fathers were writing their Bill of Rights in the 80s or 90s, <laughs> yeah. 19, 1990s, I hate to add, I think a data protection principle would be something that they would have considered. Right. Um, but but we don't, so we end up with this 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 patchwork. Yeah, yeah. Well, and also, you know, Europe really experienced World War Two and Germany, and you know, all of that. And I think that that privacy has a different connotation in terms of even their definition, right? Wouldn't yeah, I, I mean, I, I think we can lean a little too hard sometimes on, on World War Two as like the big the big dividing line. Um, uh, and, you know, what's interesting is how quickly these things can change. For many, many years, Germany has been the leader in privacy 
um, in lots of different angles. But right. I can tell you right now, um, because of uh, recent terrorist attacks um, in Austria and uh, elsewhere, uh, there is more of a shift in Europe to conducting the same kind of surveillance that that we've we've seen in the U.S. Mm-hmm. and it's been hard going and sometimes to to argue against that. Hmm. Yes, it, this is the thing about technology too. You know, it's changing so fast. I mean, is there, is there ever a time where an EFF is going to say stop some of this technology? <laughs> Right, right. Well, you know, sometimes sometimes there is. I mean, again, we, we sometimes get presented as sort of techno-utopians, but sometimes really technology can be so transformative um, that it, it is worth thinking about, like, how we slow this down. And the example I'd give here is facial recognition. Again, I remember the day when Lee came into um, uh, uh, the office and sort of painted a picture of the latest research about facial recognition and how it had gone from being, you know, not as good, okay, but not as good as the average human being's facial recognition abilities, which are very, very good, as you'd imagine, to um, uh, above it. Hmm. You know, that a, a, a machine can do a better job of recognizing faces than the average person now. Mm. And of course, at, at a much larger scale. Right. And it was that point where we started pushing a little bit more for, for bans on facial recognition, at least for their use in law enforcement and government actions, right? Mm. So, and we've seen that sprout all over, the, uh, all over, not only the world, but within the United States. So we have a couple of those sort of uh, government, local government bans here in California, and they're popping up all, all over. Um, and I'm, I'm not sure if that's like really going to be a, a permanent ban on, on these technologies. It's more a kind of like, hold it. We might be stumbling into an environment where we've gone from, you know, most people having some semblance of privacy right. um, in their movements um, to no one having it. Right. And the government having complete access to that. Uh, Again, that's like trying to say, how can we build privacy into the architecture of the service or the technology or what we're doing? You know, maybe kind of like a pregnant pause to figure right. out how can we deal with this and what does it mean and what kind of laws can we have? Or, you know, it's 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 just unbelievably going so quickly that you right. just can't keep up with it anyway. Right. And uh, yeah, and I think that you know, getting some transparency and visibility on yes. this yeah. is super important. Right. Um, now I have another question. So so you know, you work at EFF again for those who are just listening now, the Electronic Frontier Foundation does wonderful work and you work both on privacy and free expression issues. So sometimes they come into conflict. So right. how do you, how do you resolve that? Well, I mean, from from one point of view, you know, we we always, I think at heart, we think that they're complementary, right? That 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 um, you strengthen privacy and you strengthen free expression, um, and it, in a lot of places they do uh, shore each other up, um, right? That that in order to be able to express things freely, you need the privacy 
to think about them before you say them, right? And sometimes you need to express things to someone else um, in, in the knowledge that not everybody in the world is, is going to be hearing what you're saying. Um, but there are times where the, the, the two clash. I mean, most particularly right now, um, we see this in situations where uh, there's public or personal information that um, is it, that someone is is part of someone's expression, right? That if, for instance, a um, a politician is um, has said something, or um, as, say has a, a, a house in Florida that they fly to every, um, <laughs> every weekend yeah. um, and, you know, don't stay in the current state. Um, you know, that's personal information, right? That's private information. Um, right. But it's also of public interest. Right. And, um, and trying to work out the, the division between those two things is, you know, honestly, Part, part and practice of, of any policy. Like there are no absolutes, even right. in even in human rights. Um, so we have to set think, forth tests, right? You know, certain yes, tests, and exactly. in the law, there are certain tests for privacy. And if right. you're a public and, figure, then you have less privacy, but you go into it knowing that, right? Right. So. And uh, and sometimes what changes is like, well, what is a public figure now? You know, I can go from being a, an obscure, nobody knows who I am, individual right. to a public figure. Well, you're a public figure your... now because you have a, a podcast. <laughs> right, right, exactly, and you too. Or maybe, you know, my Twitter, a, a, a mad tweet that I post gets 20,000 um, uh, retweets. Yeah. Does yeah. that make me a public figure? Uh, and, and so, so yeah. we often have to, like, reinterpret the test. Right. that we, we've provided as well. And this happens in, in free expression as well. You know, uh, people often think that, that, that the United States is this sort of free speech bastion, but it's not. There are, there are laws about... Right. You, what, yeah, you can't say fire in, in, a, yeah, in the theater, and, you, you know, that's well, obviously... Or you incite violence or whatever else. So yeah. that's what... Yeah, there are bounds. There's boundaries on all of this stuff. Right, and and but the the way we we protect the the right of of free speech is by subjecting laws around it to various levels of of, of scrutiny, right. um, uh, based on on, on the the the, the um, nature and the role. Um, right. So so uh, it it is always a balancing act, but I don't think it's quite uh, as in conflict as as it might seem all the time. Right. Would you believe we are just about out of time? I just have one real quick question for you, and that is, are you hopeful with this new administration in this new year about privacy? I I always have mixed feelings about um, any new administration because there's so much that they can do right and there's so much that they can do wrong. So we'll just have to see how it goes. I'm optimistic on privacy front. Yes. Um, I am uh, a little worried on the free expression and um, mm. a general general tech fund. Well, you guys you know, are going to have to do some work then 
<laughs> you're going to have to keep uh, keep going and, and speaking up and writing and testifying and doing all those things. But we are out of time. Thank you so much for joining us. I will definitely want to have you back again, just even to listen to that gorgeous voice of yours. But Danny, you are, you're brilliant and we sure appreciate it. So just give us uh, your website and how to get to the podcast. Well, if you want to hear more of my calming voice, um, our <laughs> podcast is at eff.org slash podcast. And you can go there and subscribe. Um, and if you want to find out more about our work, EFS.org is, the, um, is the, the place. Thank you so much. And we will stay in touch. All right. And Happy New Year. Let's have a great year, new year. All right. Happy New Year. Okay. Thank you. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. and visit our website at privacypiracy.org. Thank you. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.